Monday, January the 31st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, North Korea fires another missile and America plans sanctions over Ukraine. First, the world in brief. North Korea confirmed it had successfully launched a ballistic missile that might strike a target as much as 5,500 kilometers away, its longest range test in five years. State media released photos allegedly taken from the missile. Kim Jong-un's regime appears to be ramping up its weapons development program. America expressed concern and vowed to take, quote, steps that are designed to show our commitment to our allies. The United States Senate is close to finishing bipartisan legislation imposing sanctions on Russia over its actions in Ukraine. Measures may include penalties on large Russian banks, as well as providing Ukraine with military aid, for which it can pay later. Britain also plans to impose sanctions on Russian financial institutions, energy firms and prominent figures close to Vladimir Putin, Russia's president. Portugal's ruling centre-left Socialist Party easily won Sunday's snap election. Opinion polls had predicted that the party would struggle to gain an outright majority. Antonio Costa, the Prime Minister, vowed to, quote, govern for all Portuguese, declaring that, quote, an absolute majority doesn't mean absolute power. The country will now have a stable government to oversee its application for pandemic recovery funds from the EU. Spotify said it would add advisory warnings to any COVID-related podcast hosted on its platform. The streaming giant had been criticised for promoting misinformation through its partnership with Joe Rogan, a popular podcast host who has interviewed vaccine sceptics. Daniel Ek, the CEO, said Spotify had, quote, an obligation to do more to provide balance and access to widely accepted information. Media freedom in China is shrinking at, quote, breakneck speed, according to a report by the Foreign Correspondents Club. The group, which the Chinese government has deemed to be illegal, said that journalists are frequently subject to physical assaults, online abuse and having their visas denied. Local journalists in mainland China and Hong Kong also face difficulties, it alleged. Italy's Electoral College voted that Sergio Mattarella serve another term as the country's president, even though he had previously ruled himself out of the running. The choice of Mr Mattarella came after six days of sometimes farcical horse trading between Italy's ruling parties. It means that Mario Draghi, once the front-runner for the presidency, will remain as Prime Minister. More than 1,400 flights were cancelled on Sunday because of a winter storm in northeast America. Several inches of snow fell on the New York area, with strong winds that reduced visibility and made driving especially hazardous. New England got the worst of it though. Boston set a record for single-day snowfall, 23.6 inches. And fact of the day, a quarter the share of current farmland that would be needed if the world was vegan.
And now, here's today's agenda. Putin's energy weapon. A complete shutdown of piped gas from Russia, which makes up roughly one-third of the gas burned in Europe, was once unthinkable. Not anymore. If Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, makes a move on Ukraine, energy could become a precious bargaining chip should the West hit Russia with sanctions. Europe will suffer if Russia cuts off the gas, but it has some options up its sleeve. The continent could use more liquefied natural gas from countries such as China and its energy system has become more resilient in recent years, leaving once isolated countries better connected. The bigger price will be paid by Russia. Turning the taps off completely could cost Gazprom, its state-controlled gas giant, between $203 million and $228 million a day in lost revenues, according to one calculation. Russia's central bank reserves would cushion such a blow. But the wider commercial fallout would surely hurt Gazprom's ability to do business. FTSE bids goodbye to BHP On Monday, the world's biggest mining group leaves the FTSE 100, Britain's benchmark stock market index, in favour of a main listing in Australia. With a value of $162 billion, it was the third largest firm on the index, behind AstraZeneca and Shell. Since 2001, BHP has split itself across the hemispheres, with 42% of the group listed in London as BHP PLC and the remainder in Sydney as BHP LTD. The London-listed entity's share of earnings, once 40%, has since fallen to below 5%. The attractions of Britain's stock market have doled too. In its mid-2000s heyday, it hosted one in five of the world's initial public offerings. By 2021, that had fallen to 1 in 25. Meanwhile, the Baroque corporate structure made mergers and acquisitions more complicated. That used to be worth it for a chance to tap the city's stock market for funding. BHP's shareholders have decided it no longer is. India's privatisation push Narendra Modi, India's Prime Minister, says government has, quote, no business to be in business. Since assuming power, he has promised to privatise India's plethora of state-run firms and set ambitious divestment targets. Few Indian leaders have matched his rhetoric. But so far, neither have Mr Modi's actions. Progress on privatisation has been slow and divestment targets rarely met. But that may now be changing. Last week, the government completed its largest divestment so far under Mr Modi, handing over Air India, the national carrier, to Tata Group, a conglomerate. This week, it hopes to iron out details to list Life Insurance Corporation, an even bigger behemoth that provides insurance to more than 250 million Indians and is valued at $203 billion. It could be India's biggest ever IPO, raking $12 billion into the government's kitty and bolstering public finances battered by the pandemic. For a country long infatuated with state-owned enterprises, it will have a symbolic weight too. 
If the world were vegan. Many vegans, including those who dabble only during, quote, veganuary, restrict their diet to reduce animal suffering. But many also do so for environmental reasons. Beef farming produces 31 times more CO2 emissions per calorie than tofu. Enjoying a prime steak means feeding animals with plants rather than consuming those plants directly. That inefficiency means that humans need to grow more plants than they would in a vegan world. Of all the habitable land, about half is used for agriculture. Of all food production, around 80% is dedicated to pasture or crops for animal feed, according to an extensive study of global food systems. If everyone were vegan, agriculture would need just a quarter of the land it uses today. Even a diet avoiding only meat from cattle and sheep would cut land use in half. A little more, quote, veganuary spirit all year round would be a good thing. Van Leo, the Man Ray of Egypt. In 1942 alone, Van Leo took more than 100 self-portraits. In one image, he poses with a gun tucked into the waistband of his trousers. In another, he wears a necklace and clip-on earrings, smiling coyly at the camera. Born in Turkey in 1921 to Armenian parents, who then fled the Ottoman Empire, Van Leo, whose given name was Levon Boyadijon, grew up in Alexandria, Zagazig and Cairo. It was in Egypt that he made his name as a photographer, capturing the actors and dancers stationed there to perform for the Allied forces during the Second World War. More than 3,000 of his images are collected in Becoming Van Leo by Carl Basil, a new three-volume book that sheds light on the man behind and often in front of the camera. As well as cementing his place as a leading Middle Eastern photographer of his time, Becoming Van Leo suggests he may rank among its most enigmatic characters too. Winter Quiz Week 8 The battle with our baristas enters its final week. As in previous weeks, we'll serve you a new question each day. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Monday. What is the term for a nominal rent that is applied to some properties? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Franz Schubert, who was born on this day in 1797. Anyone who loves music can never be quite unhappy. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. 
Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 